Real quickly, if you need a handout, I know the ushers have come forward. Raise your hand if you need a handout or a pen. Now, I'm going to recommend something tonight. I'm going to recommend that everybody has this handout. And the reason I'm going to is because tonight is going to have an element of teaching in it. And what we're going to go through tonight, you will use for the rest of your life probably every day of your Christian walk. This little thought that I have tonight my wife has laminated, she had done up and laminated the final point that we'll go through tonight, and it's in her Bible, she actually gave it to me, and she opens her day every day with this little laminated card, which is point three in our study. So I'm going to recommend that you get a pen, I'm going to recommend you be ready to write. Um, a lot of times we, you know, we'll hear a thought and we'll say that's really good, but remember it's not the hearers that get blessed. It's the doers of God's Word. In fact, the danger is if you hear truth and do nothing with it, the next time you hear it, you'll think you're spiritual because you know the answer. But you're not living it, and you've deluded yourself. You've deceived yourself. And so uh, tonight is a very practical but very powerful thought, and it'll be preached, but it'll also be taught, and hopefully it'll, it'll weave its way into your heart. Revelation chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, I'll let you remain seated. Revelation chapter 5, and uh, again, like I'm fond of introducing the thought, there's a headline today, the major news networks missed it completely, but the Word of God declares it, a king is coming. Amen? And he's just not any old king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords, and if you're saved, very uniquely, he's your king, and he's my king, and he's coming again for you and me. Notice where we began last night and ended last night in Revelation 5. The Bible says in verse number 1, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, look at this question, who is worthy? We noted last night that word worthy has the idea, who deserves it? Who deserves this? I like the answer in verse 9. The four and twenty beasts and the elders fall down and they answer the question in verse 9, Thou art worthy. You can almost see how the Spirit of God does this. Who's worthy? And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts, they all collectively say, Thou art worthy, and then notice all of heaven fills the chorus in by identifying who the thou is. In verse 12, 10,000 times 10,000, thousands of thousands proclaim with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb. Amen? Let's say those three words together, or four words together. Worthy is the Lamb. Say it again with me. Worthy is the Lamb. And notice what he's worthy of that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. I'd like to continue the thought we began last night, focusing on the power and possession of our King. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight for the incredible privilege we have to be in your house and with your people to call you our Father. Lord, we acknowledge very quickly that it is not our righteousness that has brought us into the standing with you, but it's the righteousness of your Son, the Lamb of God, your Lamb, slain for we sinners. And Lord, we come to you in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we ask your blessing on what's said, preached, and done tonight. Lord, we ask tonight that if there's one among us who isn't saved, that they would bring you glory by acknowledging their need for the Son and come to know him as Savior. But for each of us that are saved beyond our salvation, Lord, challenge us tonight to daily be giving to you what's already rightfully yours, and that would be honor and glory and praise. May your Son have the chief seat tonight in every heart, and we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The power and the possession of our King. Last night we had a little takeaway phrase that we said and, and kind of seemed to encapsulate the thought, and it was this, whether you give it or whether he takes it from you, God will get the glory. Amen? 
It's a very powerful statement. Whether you give it, that's a voluntary act on your part, or whether you force him to take it from you, which is involuntary, God is going to take that. God is still going to get the glory. And when you say that, I know there's people out there that almost want to stomp their feet and say, well, why? Why does he get the glory? And Matthew tells us, because thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. As we look at this thought, go to Psalm 29 with me very quickly, and I want you to see an interesting little verse in your Bible. It's actually repeated again a little later in Psalm 96 in verse 8. But notice in Psalm 29, in verse number 2, there's this little statement that has so much in it, just one half of one verse in Psalm 29, the 29th Psalm in verse 2, listen to what's said here. He says this, the psalmist says to the reader, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. The you is understood, whoever's reading it, he's saying to you, you give. You act and give the Lord the glory that's, wow, due or owed unto His name. You know, as we begin this thought tonight, maybe it's good to just ask the question, what does it mean to glorify something? I mean, you and I glorify something. What does that look like? How would we describe that? If you have your pens, you might want to just jot this down, and then we'll move into the thoughts tonight. To glorify something means this, to lift it up, or exalt it all right when you glorify something you're not downing it you're lifting it up you're 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 exalting it to glorify something has the idea to focus on it and draw attention to it to glorify something has this idea to admire you know almost the ooh You know what I'm saying? To glorify something has the idea to just go, ooh, ah, to admire it, to promote it, and to honor it. Well, there's a lot there, isn't there? To glorify something has the idea to lift it up, to exalt it, to focus on it and draw attention to it, then to admire it, and as a result, promote and honor it something or someone three things about giving glory to god you and i need to recognize number one giving glory to god is not normal publicly giving glory to god is not normal publicly what do i mean by that do you know that our society today lifts up and admires almost everything and everybody except jesus christ all right You understand? Giving glory to God outside of the walls of this building is not normal in American society. I'm a Yahoo guy. I know that's kind of dating me as a dinosaur. But a little proof to what I'm saying, if you ever boot up Yahoo on their homepage, up in the corner they have a top 10 trending now. Did you ever see that? It's the top ten things that day that people are going, ooh, ah, whoa, you know what I'm saying? And for probably 12 years, 15 years, I've had a Yahoo homepage. And you know what? In the top ten every day, as I look at that thing, I find sports stars in the Yahoo top ten. I find millionaires noted. I see politicians. I see movie stars. You with me? World events. But I have never seen Jesus Christ make the top ten trending Yahoo homepage ever in 15 years. Now that tells me something. If you're waiting for society to figure out who's worthy of glory and honor, you're going to be waiting a long time because they lift up and admire almost everything and everybody except the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's not their responsibility, it's ours. Amen? And notice I noted, what does society glory in today? Get your pens ready. Number one, I find today that society lifts up and glorifies people glory in and admire first of all wealth write that down they glory and they glorify wealth the wealthy the bezos 
the uh, Elon Musk. You all with me? American society today, number one, glorifies and admires wealth. Deuteronomy 8 has something to say about that. Listen to this, and let me tell you, that is a gift from God. If God has blessed you with finances, that is a gift. It's a tool, just like any other gift that he gives people. And the gift of giving is something God will do many times through God's people. Listen to what's said in Deuteronomy 8. He says, Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God, the children of Israel coming into the land of Israel, lest when thou hast eaten and art full... And has built goodly houses, and when thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, and thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. He says, No, thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant. In other words, promote his kingdom. The world today, society today, glorifies and lifts up and admires the wealthy, and yet even that is uncertain riches, according to 1 Timothy 6. Second of all, people today glory in their wisdom. Society, society today, American society, glorifies worldly wisdom. Uh, degrees. What college you graduated from. Y'all with me? Uh, are you an Ivy Leaguer? What, what kind of doctorate do you have on the wall? Isn't that interesting? They glory in that. They find their identity in their, in their wisdom, and they oftentimes find that they think they're oftentimes better than somebody else because of the degree that's hanging on their wall. Y'all with me? People today glory in their wisdom. Look what 1 Corinthians says about that very quickly. We'll not be looking at verses through every one of these, but I want to bring this one out. Look at what it said in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 1 concerning wisdom as compared to the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1.25 says this, Because the foolishness of God, 1 Corinthians 1.25, is wiser than men. Look up for just a moment. If God could have a foolish day, if that was even possible, it's, it's better than the best day man ever had for wisdom. You know what I'm saying? The foolishness of God is, is, is better than the wisdom, than, than the wisdom of men. And, and he says, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Notice he chooses foolish things in verse 27 and base things in verse 28 for the reason that no flesh in verse 29 should glory in his presence. Now watch verse 30. Here comes the wisdom of God. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who, Jesus Christ, who is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. You know what? Jesus Christ is the wisdom of God. And if you walked into somebody's office and there's three Harvard Yale degrees sitting there on one side of the wall, and on the other side is the old rugged cross. That old rugged cross contains more wisdom in it than all those degrees combined. You stop and think about the romance of redemption. How can a holy God let unholy people spend forever with Him without violating His nature? He can become a man be sacrificed and reconcile wickedness to holiness through the person of his son. That is unbelievable wisdom. Amen? Society today glories in their wisdom. And the Lord says, you glory in the cross. That's my wisdom, my son. Amen? I wrote this one down. Society today glorifies and, and uh, lifts up uh, abilities. People today glory in their abilities. God-given talents that has been gifted to them by God. You ever see a guy go ahead and score the buzzer winner and he does this number? You know. Boy, I, I like to look at a guy like that and I say, oh, you have no idea. I mean, if God just quit right now, you'd go thun, thun, punk. you know, I mean, you don't have anything but what God gave you. You know what I'm saying? Quit taking that glory. And then you know what happens? Some guy takes a knee and goes ahead and thanks the Lord. And ah! all society freaks out, you know. 
Because he's going to give God glory. Oh, you can't do that. I'm telling you, society today, giving glory to God is not normal out there. Amen? People today glory in their abilities. People today glory in their appearance. Write that one down. People find a great identity in, a, in their appearance. They glory in their appearance. They admire how they look. Uh, first of all, beauty for women today. You, you go by, and it's interesting, you go through any Walmart checkout, and there are the magazines, self, beauty, you know. <laughs> I know who they never put on there, you know, but it's all, it's all this alluring physical beauty. And yet the Bible says that favor is deceitful, ladies, and beauty is vain. It's not going to last. Let me tell you, if Elizabeth Taylor couldn't keep her looks with all her millions, you're not going to either. Amen? But a woman that feareth the Lord, now she shall be praised. Amen? Physical beauty today and appearance is lifted up in society, and this is what people admire and go ooh and ah over. And, and then, man, how about physical appearance as far as, you know, you know looking buff, you know? Now, I, I'm a Planet Fitness guy. It's, they got these purple places all over the United States, you know. And uh, I worked out uh, yesterday at Planet Fitness, and, and uh, I remember in my younger years, my boy, man, I, I could run uh, amazingly, all kinds of things, but, you know, it's, it's changing now. You know, I'm the guy up there on the elliptical, and I'm looking out there, and all the time, you'll see it. There'll be some guy lifting weights, you know. He gets in front of the mirror, you know. I'm up here watching him, you know, he's flexing, you know, and I'm up there. You know what I'm thinking? Well, bub. You just give it about 30 or 40 more years. And you'll be up here where I was. And I won't be here anymore, but you're going to be here. Amen. <laughs> well, I remember the days, man. I could outrun anybody. But now the old chest is going for the drawers. My get up and go has got up and left. I can get shortness of breath watching my wife power walk now with her dog, you know. <laughs> And yet people glory today in something they'll never keep, and it's so vain. Society and people today glory, right, in number five, in their authority, the station of life they hold. How many people are under them? I like how Pilate challenged Jesus Christ in John 19, and he said, do you have any idea who you're talking to? Do you have any idea, he said to Jesus Christ, that I have power over your life? And Jesus Christ said to him, Thou couldst have no power except it were given thee from above. And yet people today glory in their authority. And finally, I've watched this. People today glory in their associations. They glory in their associations. Well, what do I mean by that? They, they glory in who they know. They glory in the associations they have. You, you, ever, you ever been there and done that? Somebody says to you, guess who I met the other day? Who? And they give you some notable person, maybe a politician, you know, maybe a movie star, all right? And sadly, you take the bait. And you respond like this, well, guess who I met two years ago? And you know what? Game is now on because every person tries to get a more notable association and it finally degenerates to something like this well guess who I met 12 years ago he was the uncle of the nephew of the great-grandson of blah I've always said you want to make that conversation short when they say guess who I met the other day wow guess who I met a few years ago I met the Son of God, God in the flesh, and guess what? He adopted me into his family, and now I'm a joint heir with the entire kingdom. You feel like saying, beat that one. Yeah? You know, the best they'll ever do is tie you. That's the best they'll ever do. Amen? And yet people today glory in all of these things in society, and if we're not careful, we do the same. 
I am of Paul. I'm of Paulos. I'm of Cephas. Sometimes if we're not careful, we just look through a person to find someone else more notable and worthy of our time. That's sad. Because there's no big eyes and there's no little U's in the kingdom of heaven. Listen, we are a dead heat tie with this statement. You and I are nothing but dirty, rotten, wicked, filthy sinners saved by grace. There we are. And we're servants of the Most High God. That is the best it'll ever get. Amen? I've often asked myself, why do people do this? Go to Jeremiah 9 and and just notice what the prophet here says in, in Jeremiah chapter 9. And look with me in verse number 23. He reminds us of where the focus needs to be in Jeremiah chapter 9 and verse number 23. In Jeremiah 9, in verse number 23, he, he says it this way, and you ought to circle these two verses, verse 23 and 24. Listen to how he sums this up in Jeremiah 9, verse 23 and 24. He says, Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord. Isn't that good? Why is society so caught up with everything except Jesus Christ? There's many reasons, but let me give you one maybe you never considered. I have found two great levelers in the field of life. Number one is death. Death is no respecter of persons. If you traveled Arlington, and and I filmed there with my film team and and had the Corvette through there, and part of our filming was at Arlington, I'm going to tell you, you stroll those cemeteries and look at those grave sites, you will find the private buried next to the general. Death is no respecter of persons. Levels the entire playing field. It doesn't care how much money you have. It doesn't care how wise you are. You land in the same plot Equally, it equalizes everything. But something else does too. It's the cross of Jesus Christ. That levels the playing field. For everybody has to come the same way as sinners that need to be saved by grace. Amen? And you know why some people just don't want to get saved? Because they're going to cough up, they're going to have to cough up their glory. What they think makes them better than someone else. Maybe it's their money, maybe it's their their degrees, maybe it's their appearance, but they have got to cough up that which they admire and crumble at Calvary and admire Jesus Christ alone. Everybody's equal. There's no big eyes and little u's at Calvary. This is why a rich man finds it hard to get saved. He's got to acknowledge he's got nothing more than anybody else except a bag full of sin that needs forgiven. Amen? You see, the grave is the great equalizer, but so is the cross. And I know people that are still lost today because they don't want to cash in their glory, their identity, what they think makes them special, what makes Anybody special for eternity is Jesus Christ. That's it. Amen? He's the grand equalizer. Number one, recognize this, that giving glory to God is not normal publicly. But second of all, let's go to our next point. Giving glory to God is not natural personally. Giving glory to God is not natural personally. What does that mean? Well, it simply means this. You and I have an incredible obsession with self. Write it down. We do. (laughs) We have an incredible obsession with self. I mean, deep down, we want to be the one admired. Could I get an amen there? I mean, deep down, we're the ones that want to get some, you know, a little glory. We want to kind of be, oh, wow, did you meet him? Did you? Oh, you're amazing. We, we, We have a tendency to desire and crave that. To prove it, two things. Number one, have you ever seen a group photo that you're in? Somebody takes this giant group photo, you're in there, and then they say, look at this photo that you were in, and and look at everybody here. Who's the first person you're looking for in that group photo? It's you. You immediately look for you. Oh, 
Amen? But second of all, did you ever notice when you retell the stories, whatever they are, you have a tendency to Photoshop things about yourself in the story. You have a tendency to cant or paint the story in a more favorable light towards you than maybe it should have been. Could I get an amen there? I, I remember years ago, all the kids were home for, for Christmas and we were sitting around and we were reflecting on a softball game we played. Now, as we traveled, our family, six children, my wife and I, we, we traveled with a whole bag full of number 10 softballs. Number 10 softballs right between a softball and a baseball, and we would base up many times with youth groups as we would come in and minister. We practically had our own team right there, but we would go ahead, and we, they wanted to play us. And during the daytime, once school was over, base up, let's go, and we would start playing uh, softball. Three pitch, four pitch softball, your own pitcher pitch to you. You get four pitches from your own pitcher, and if you can't get on base, you're out. Keeps the game going, and that's, we played four pitch number 10 softball. And I was reflecting on this game that was the game. My oldest son, Kevin, had reached that point of life where his goal in life was to beat dad. Period. I mean, it got to a point that if I said, that's black, he'd say, no, that's white. I go, what? It was, it was the manhood test. If he could beat dad, he was a man. So he would argue about everything. And the day came where he was a captain of one team, I was a captain of the other. We based up, it was a game in Georgia. So remember that. And boy, we went back and forth, back and forth until the bottom of the ninth. My team is down by three runs. There's two outs. And mighty Casey, dad, comes to bat. <laughs> Bases are loaded. We're down by three runs, two outs. And I don't know who is pitching for me, but I should have been a golfer because the first three pitches were, what was that? And now we're down to the last pitch. I said, please throw something in the air. And they threw it to me, and I never, boy, I said, you guys remember this? Dad parked it right down the third baseline all the way into the woods. And man, I said, run! And everybody's running around, running around. And Kevin, he's heading out there. He grabs that softball. He relays it in. I'm rounding third. It hits third. The runner takes it, throws it home. And Dad slides in. <laughs> I said, man, wasn't that a game? Man, we came from behind. Bottom of the ninth. Dad grand slam homer. And we won by a run. And all my children are sitting there like deer in headlights. I says, what are you looking at me like that for? One of them was brave enough to say, well, Dad, um, we don't remember the game ending that way. <laughs> what do you mean you don't? That's how the game, well, Dad, another one spoke up. We remembered you trickled out to first base to Kimberly. Kimberly was the one that everybody wanted on the other team. She was a secret weapon. She couldn't do anything. And she just pounced on the ball and walked it over to first and touched the base. I said, I did not do that. And they all went, ah, Dad. And then I turned to my executive officer, Deb. I said, Han, didn't I hit a Grand Slam homer? She didn't say a word, which was an answer. Now, one day in heaven, I'm going to get a replay on that thing because I think they're all wrong. I think I grand slam homered that thing. We have that tendency, don't we? We have a tendency when there's a tiff to retell the story, leaving some details out and amplifying some others. Why? Here's why. We have an overinflated opinion of who we are. It's just pride. We don't want to be wrong we want to be right. We want to be adored. We don't want to be rejected. Amen? Yeah. Giving glory to God is not normal publicly, but second of all, recognize in your life it's not natural personally. Recognize the obsession with self. And then thirdly, flip the notes over because this is very powerful. As we close this thought out, recognize this. Giving glory to God is not neutral. This is big. 
Giving glory to God is not neutral. What do I mean by that? Giving glory to God, admiration to God, exalting Him and honoring Him and lifting Him up does not happen accidentally. It doesn't happen accidentally. Because your default setting is self, there has to be a personal decision to lift up someone else besides myself. Amen? It doesn't happen accidentally. You never glorify the Lord and go, ah, I never saw that coming. How did I do that? Whoa. You don't do that. It's not accidental. In fact, I wrote in the notes, and note this, you and I must positively and on purpose give glory to God with our life, or we put Him in the position where He must take glory from our life. Isn't that powerful? You and I have to actually purposely and on purpose give glory to God with our life. Or we put him in the position where he must take glory from our life. Here's seven ways I found you can give glory to God. Number one, write this down. Remember, the psalmist said, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. You owe this to God every day. Number one, you can give glory to God through salvation. Your king gets glory through salvation. Go to Galatians 1. We're going to look at three different texts in the next seven points, so we're not going to look at all of them. There'll be homework assignment for you. But look in Galatians chapter 1, and look at what's said here in verse 23. Paul is now saved. Saul is converted. And verse 22 of Galatians 1 says this. He says, I was unknown by face unto the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. Galatians 1 verse 22. And then he adds this, but they had heard only, verse 23, Galatians 1, that he which persecuted us in times past now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. And look at verse 24, and they glorified God in me. Change lives. Glorify the Lord. Amen? Because only he could have done that. Everybody who's saved ought to say amen there. I mean, to God be the glory. You didn't change yourself. He changed you. You didn't change your destination. He changed your destination. And you didn't change your desires. He changed your desires. Everything. The first way to get saved, or to give glory to God is get saved. So if you're here tonight or you're tuning in, and you say, well, I don't know how to give God glory. I'm not saved. Get saved. Worthy is the Lamb. He's, he felt you were worth dying for. Get saved so his sacrifice is not in vain for you. Amen? It'll bring him glory. Number two, gratitude expressed. I added that word. Gratitude expressed is another way to give glory to our king. Look in Luke with me, a very familiar text. Look with me in Luke chapter 17. In Luke chapter 17, go there with me and look with me in verse number 15. These are the ten lepers that Jesus Christ cleansed. Luke chapter 17 and verse number, uh, verse number 15. Ten lepers are cleansed. Jesus Christ cleanses them. And then notice here in Luke chapter 17, verse 15. And how many of them? Of the ten, how many? One. One of them, Luke 17, 15, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice did what? Glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. And look at what the Lord says. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. You know, the second way you and I can intentionally give glory to God is expressed gratitude for what he's done for, you, for us. Amen? Expressed gratitude. Let me say this. Do you think the other nine were grateful that they were cleansed? I, I don't think any of them went and said, I can't believe it, I'm cleansed. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. I think they were all like, yeah, but only one pause to come back and express his gratitude. And Jesus said, that's how I get glory, when you express your gratitude, not just when you're grateful. Amen? You express it. Listen to what A.W. Tozer said about gratitude. I think it's very telling. He said this, gratitude is an offering, precious in the sight of God, and it is one that the poorest of us can make, and be not poorer, but richer for having made it. Isn't that good? 
I'm going to read it again. Gratitude is an offering, precious in the sight of God. And it is one that the poorest of us can make and be not poorer but richer for having made it. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Expressed brings glory to God. Number three, write this one down. Righteous living brings glory to your king. Righteous living brings glory to God. Matthew 5, we won't turn there. I'll just quote it. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and then glorify your Father which is in heaven. Amen? Let me tell you, if you live a sinful life, God doesn't get glory for that. God gets no glory, no admiration for your sinful living as you name the name of Jesus Christ. It's righteous living that brings glory to God. Number four, write this one down. Confession of sin brings glory to your king. Write it in. Confession of sin brings glory to God. Go to Joshua with me. Here's the last one I want to look at. Joshua, look with me in chapter 7. You don't want to miss this. Joshua chapter 7. Confession of sin. When you and I confess sin, it brings glory to God. We know what happened. Achan has taken uh, and stolen the spoils, the Babylonian garment, the wedge of silver, the wedge of gold. And notice by lot they finally determine who it is that's brought a curse on the camp of God. And in Joshua 7, verse 19, listen to what Joshua says to Achan. Joshua 7, 19. And Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now what thou hast done. Hide it not from me. Wow. Do you know confessing sin brings glory to God? Say, how does that work? How does that work? I mean, how, how does me admitting my sin, how, how does that bring glory to God? How does that lift him up? How does that cause people to admire him? How does that exalt him? It's very simple. When you and I admit our sin, when we confess our sin, what direction do we automatically go? Which way? We humble ourselves. We humble ourselves. And you know what? God doesn't have to change his standing or position one single whit. When you and I lower ourselves, he automatically, in relationship to that, is higher because he never sins. Amen? I have a formula I shared with the men public sin needs to be confessed publicly. Private sin, confess privately. But all of that, when you humble yourself and confess your sin, elevates God and takes the glory from you and gives it to Him. Amen? So you say, well, I want to glorify God. You have some sin you need to confess? You have something God's put His finger on? Confess it. Amen? Humble yourselves before Him. And be honest about who you are. God gets great glory from that. Number five, write this one down, praise and adoration. Write that down. Praise and adoration brings glory to God. Praise and adoration. The psalmist says it in Psalm 50. He said, whoso offereth praise glorifieth me. Amen? You say, well, what is that? And I shared in the men's prayer meeting, when you look at praying, uh, you begin with adoration. The best way to begin your prayer life is to pause and say, Lord, I want to thank you for who you are. Thank you that you're holy, not unholy. I want to be grateful that you're righteous, not unrighteous. Lord, I'm so glad that you're a God who cannot lie. You traffic in truth. I'm grateful you're a merciful God. I'm so thankful that you're a, 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 a loving God. You so love me, you gave your only son. And then I always say this, Lord, and thank you, you're a God who changes not. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever in a world full of variables you're my eternal constant praise the lord could i just say you don't serve a schizoid god he doesn't all of a sudden just change tomorrow and it's like whoa where'd that come no 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 no. you can make book on his mercies they're new every day amen because we're sinful every day we need that Adoration and praise brings glory to God. Write this one down. Church attendance 
Church attendance brings glory to your king. Church attendance. Ephesians 3 says it this way, Unto him be glory in the church, in the assembly. You know a parking lot at a bar full of cars tells you who they're worshiping. Amen? They're parked there to lift up something or someone else other than the Lord. Let me tell you, people driving past that highway out there, whole pile of cars here tonight is probably not a wedding, right? Those don't usually happen on Tuesday nights. Probably not a funeral. Those are daytime events. What's up with those people? You being here tonight says he's worth my time and he's worth my effort and he's worth my attention and he's worth shutting the electronics off and he's worth pushing the world away and just staring and listening and learning and taking in my God through the preaching of his word, the fellowship of his people. Unto him be glory in the church. A couple of years ago we were in church and I, I, it may have been Brother Garcia's work. A number of Romanian believers were there. And if you remember two years ago in the midst of COVID, everybody's hair on fire and we needed to pause for a moment and just see what is this. But once everybody kind of found out how it was and said, you know what, we need to keep assembling... I know many, many churches got right back and began to assemble with, with some safety things in place, but God said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. I've never understood. It's hard to assemble if you're being assembly if you're not assembled. I mean, that, you know, farm boy, I mean, that, you know, it's assembled. It's an assembly. And so after a few weeks went by and gave the governor his due, then churches began to assemble again. But there were, you know, moments where people were still freaking out. And these Romanian believers that were visiting, they couldn't understand American believers. Not wanting to go to church because they may catch something and perish. I asked them, what do you mean by that? They said, do you understand, Brother Summerdorf, that in Romania, from Ceausescu's rulership and beyond, he said, every time we went to church, it was a death sentence on us. And we counted it a privilege to be inconvenienced for our king, even unto death. See, here's the problem with American Christianity. We want to worship the Lord conveniently, not sacrificially. Yeah. But are you starting to notice the days of convenient Christianity are starting to wane? Amen? It's game on. It's going to cost you something to serve the Lord. If you're looking for it to get easier, you're going to be sadly mistaken. It's going to cost you something to serve the Lord. Amen? Church attendance brings glory to God. And then I wrote this one down, witnessing. Witnessing. Write that down, number seven. In other words, drawing attention to Jesus Christ, witnessing and speaking for him to others, brings glory to the king. Jesus said in John 12, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself, unto me. Now, he was speaking of his death. That's what he was speaking of, being lifted up at Calvary. But let me just say this. When you and I start speaking about the Savior, it draws people to consider him. And whoever you worship, you inevitably talk about. Amen? I mean, you, you talk to anybody, whatever they're enamored with, whatever they're worshiping, they, they can't help it. they got to talk about it. And you and I should be enamored above all else with Jesus Christ. I found seven ways that you and I can positively and on purpose give glory to God with our life. There is an eighth way if you want to write it in. Just recently found it. Number eight, death, dying for him. You don't need to turn there, but John 21, 19, Peter was told, here's how you're going to die. You're going to die being born about by someone else. And we know history tells us that Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to be crucified in the same fashion as his Savior. And this he was told signifying by what death he would bring glory to God. Yeah, we want to live for him, amen? But we should be willing to die for him too. And that would bring great glory to him if the cause we give ourselves for is our king. So, 
as we begin the wind down tonight, as we look at that thought, there are eight ways you and I can purposely and positively bring glory to God. But there's only one way He takes it. Write it down. That's judgment. That's judgment. And if you and I decide to not give Him glory, if you and I do not positively and on purpose give glory to our God with our life, sadly we put Him in the position where He must take the glory from our life because His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Years ago, we came into Somerville, Alabama. The pastor there was Pastor Shane Lewis. I don't know if that name rings a bell. Brother Shane, dear friend of mine, met him in Michigan, and he was pastoring from Michigan. He went to Alabama, and he just died of cancer a little over a year ago, uh, 49 years of age. The Lord took him home. He was amazing. He was an amazing brother. He was a unique guy. All my children loved him. He was a pastor that, like your pastor, had a fairly good-sized church, and and yet he would never treat you less than anybody else. You always had his focus. You always had his ear, even if you were just a teenager. My children love that. I remember he called me one day, and he said, Brother Dave, we, I'm down here. I want to have a tent meeting in Somerville, Alabama. And we scheduled that meeting a number of years ago. The six children were still with us as a singing group. And so I remember coming into that place and He set us up on the courthouse lawn of Somerville, Alabama, the oldest courthouse in the entire state. The mayor of the city gave me the key to the city. He said, this key will get you in everywhere, the library, the police station, anything you need. Uh, This key, it, it was a little village. He said, but here's the key to the city. And by the way, these convicts in their orange jumpsuits, they're going to help you set up the tent right here on the courthouse lawn. I, I looked at him. I said, how can you do that? He said, what do you mean, how can I do that? He says, I said, well, another courthouse is taking the Ten Commandments off the wall as we speak, just 100 and some miles away, and you're bringing me in and setting the tent up to preach on the courthouse lawn. He said, Brother Dave, I'm the mayor of this city, and if I don't want you here, I'll find a law that says you can't be here. But if I want you here, I'll find a law that says you can be here. You know, that's what leadership does, doesn't it? They do what they want to do, and lawyers have the cleanup. And so we set that tent up, and I'll never forget, we lifted the sides. By the way, it was the very same gospel tent that I was a song leader in many, many years ago that I watched Mark Rogers come forward and give his heart to the ministry of evangelism. That was the old tent. We always called Mark our evangelist. We were there when it happened, you know. But boy, did we have a meeting that week, lifted the tent sides. We couldn't fit them in that tent, over 400 people. And it was just something to watch them come with their flashlights and uh, little picnic baskets and just, just fan out. And oh, man, what a, what a sweet week we had. But I'll never forget the second night. A lady got up to sing her. Uh, she was about 40 years of age, and her name was Mary. And there was something odd about how she sang, because when she sang, she kind of swayed and and, and, and struggled to keep her balance. And as she sang, I'll, I'll never forget the song she sang. There is a river that flows from Calvary. There is a fountain that can cleanse and set men free. And she sang that song in the most beautiful voice as she struggled to keep her balance. I wish I could describe to you how it affected me. I, words can't describe it. I felt like literally just crumbling and crawling forward in the sawdust and just spending time with Jesus Christ. It just, it just pierced me to my soul and just humbled me and took all of my self-righteousness, threw it away, and all I wanted to do was exalt the king. I got up to preach, and I'll never forget, I turned to the pastor, I turned to Mary, and I said, I've never been affected by a special like that before. I have no idea what your story is, but with your pastor's permission, could you sing that again for the invitation when I'm done preaching? And the pastor said, no problem, and 
And so following the preaching, she came up and sang the song again, and nothing changed. Just my heart was melted. And this time, I got to come off that platform and just spend time in the sawdust with a lot of other people just worshiping the Lord. Following the service, I came up to her and I said, Sister, I have no idea who you are, but I have never been affected by a special like that. What's your story? And this is what she said. She said, Brother Dave, she said, God gifted me with a beautiful voice, and as a young girl, I recognized it early in life. And as I grew into those teenage years and into my 20s, Brother Dave, I took that beautiful voice and I used it for me. I used it to lift me up, to make people adore me. I used it for, to get my finances, she said. I became very successful. She said, but about 10 years ago, God struck me with a disease that almost killed me and left me totally debilitated. And then in his mercy, just a few years ago, he handed me back my voice and my life. And she said, Brother Dave, now all I do is sing for him. That's it. Whether you give it or whether you force him to take it from you, God will get the glory. It belongs to him. And he's not an unreasonable God. He gives us eight ways to give him what's due his name. And if we refuse those eight, shame on us for forcing him to exercise his right to take it from us in judgment. Eight ways to give him glory. You know what you ought to sing tomorrow morning? You ought to get up in the morning and this, is, this should be your song. So rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Rise and shine and Give God the glory, glory, children of this King. If you don't, who will? Don't wait for society. They'll never catch it until you give God what's due His name. Amen? Whether you give it or whether you force Him to take it from you, God will get the glory. I pray tomorrow morning when you wake up, you think about it. You look at that little list and said, okay, I'm going to intentionally give glory to God today. And boy, you can start. There's a lot of ways to bring Him glory. To God be the glory. Great things He hath done. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this thought. And Lord, as we consider this message tonight, I pray, Lord, that we not just check the box and Say, okay, I, I heard a thought that maybe I can use. But Lord, I pray tonight as your people, we would decide to positively, intentionally, and on purpose to give glory to your name. I pray for the one who isn't saved, that they would choose to give you glory by trusting your Son as Savior. Lord, for the believer that's struggling with gratefulness, Lord, they choose to exercise a, a spirit of gratitude and to express that to you, even tonight. Lord, I pray if there's sin that needs to be confessed, that we'd be so quick to say, Lord, you're right, and, and I'm wrong, and I'm sorry. And, and Father, we'd be quick to confess that sin, sin and bring you glory. Father, that we would give you praise and, and we give you adoration. Lord, we determine to be faithful to your house. Father, we pray tonight that we would be the ones to lead in giving you the glory. We know that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to your glory, to the glory of God the Father, this King we call Jesus Christ will receive the glory. Lord, bless tonight. Help us tonight 
to give you glory. Even now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed for just a moment. Page 79 is where we'll be, but page 79, just softly play that. Listen tonight. What does God tap your heart about? You need to give him glory. When's the last time you just paused and said, thank you, Lord. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my spouse. Lord, I want to express gratitude for the food you give me. I want to express gratitude for the physical needs you meet. Thank you, Lord, for spiritually saving me. When's the last time you just said thank you? Gives him glory when you express that. And it's an offering the, that the poorest of us can make, this gratitude thing. And not be poor, but richer for having made it. You struggling with sin? Could be a temper, a spirit of anger. Could be an internet site you shouldn't be going to. Could be bitterness. Could be just self-absorption and self-obsession. Why don't you just say, Lord, I'm sorry. Confess your sin. God gets glory when you lower yourself. Let me tell you, our posture will all be the same when we meet him one day. There'll be nobody strutting up on that day. We're all going to crumble before the king. And there is great value in doing that now and doing it early and doing it often. How about witnessing? When's the last time you just drew a busy world to pause for a moment and consider Jesus Christ? Had a couple opportunities today. I've never, ever done that without feeling joy for having drawn people aside for a moment and said, what about my Jesus? What do you think about him? Just passing out a tract. Witnessing. Hey, honestly, church, why don't we do that more? There's nothing about him you should be ashamed about. <laughs> when you meet him, you're not going to be ashamed. You're not going to be disappointed. You're not going to say, oh, man, you weren't everything I thought you'd be. He's going to be more than you thought he ever was. Righteous living, praise and adoration. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. We're the ones that have to lead in this area. Brothers, sing us a verse of that song. We'll be on page 79 if you want to join us. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. Page 79. To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. So loved he the bow your heads just for a moment heads bowed eyes closed some have still come just for a moment we'll just extend it just a moment you want to slip out you want to kneel down where you are has the Lord tapped your heart about something you know probably one of the greatest sins we'll ever confess is pride is pride just admitting we've got an overinflated opinion of who we are and it's seen by how we treat others but it's also seen in how we treat God. Scripture tells us in the Psalms, those who are proud of heart persecute the poor. They have an overinflated opinion of who they are. And those who are proud dismiss the Lord. I don't need Him. I want to tell you something, you need Him. You are not capable of getting past the grave without him. You can never have victory over sin without him. 
You need him a lot more than you think you do. And you need you a lot less than you think you need. Someone slipped out just for a moment. I don't usually do this. I don't delay. I, I don't just, I want to give you a moment because if God's talking to you, would you do something with that? Pause in whatever area he's tapping your heart and just give him the glory. Don't force him to take it from you. Just give it to him. Just say, Lord, here. I want to confess this. Some are still coming. Just for a moment. God, I'm, I'm, I'm giving this to you. I'm admitting this. Lord, I'm praising you. I'm saying thank you. Just for a moment. Let's not glory in what the world glories in. That's a cheap, short ride with no eternal reward. And it forces God to deal with us as thieves when we lift up something beyond Him. Children should know better. Sing another verse, brother. Sing another verse. people said amen amen I I'll tell you what you're talking about the other day Sunday morning you can't go wrong lifting up Christ and I don't think you can go wrong emphasizing giving God the glory and just going through all these different ways I was thinking about the first and the last that he gave us first of all salvation I'm reminded of what the Moravians said in the 18th century that one of their sayings was may the lamb that was slain receive the reward of his suffering and when we get saved that's that's what we're giving the lamb and I got thinking about this in the context of Calvinism if if God did predestinate people to be saved that's the only way he could be saved then why wouldn't he predestinate everybody to be saved then the lamb would receive more reward for his suffering just by decree but he leaves it up to man to make that choice to make that choice. And then that segues all the way down to the last one, the seventh one, which is witnessing. And when we bring somebody to Christ, that rejoicing in the presence of angels up in heaven, uh, that's all part of it. He's getting the reward of his suffering. If you've ever been out uh, downtown with Brother Sean Holes when we go out there doing street work, we'll typically get in that little park across from the Capitol, spend a little time fellowshipping, and then we'll have a word of prayer. And we get done praying, 
Some of you know what Brother Sean will say. He'll say, all right, let's go and make Jesus famous. <laughs> Remember the first time I heard that, I got a kick out of that. But a lot of truth in that. You know what? Just get out there and tell others about Christ. Tomorrow night, salvation emphasis. Well, it's for everybody, but I would say this, and I'm sorry I didn't say it sooner. Tomorrow night, as Revelation close out, like any game, even the game of life, you have winners and losers. You have those who win it all, those who lose it all. And tomorrow night, we're going to look at the two teams, and it is an unbelievable finish. And if you bring somebody who isn't saved, I'm telling you, the Spirit of God is going to work on their heart as they consider which team they're on and uh, where it's all going to end. So if you have somebody to bring, tomorrow night would be a great night to bring for me to hear the gospel one more time uh, along with the other truths you'll receive. So, so I'll give you a choice tonight between seven and eight. Bring somebody or choose martyrdom. <laughs> I think I'll try to bring somebody. Coercive evangelism, okay. All right, let's go out and make Jesus famous. You are dismissed.